All right, welcome to Blackhawk Church. Uh, my name is uh, Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at Blackhawk Church. So great to uh, see you here at our site, the Brader Way site. This is our uh, live venue. Some of you are watching me online uh, right now. You're listening to the podcast, so uh, welcome. Some of you are watching me on another screen. Maybe you're downtown at uh, uh, the Upper House, Blackhawk Downtown, and maybe you were at Savannah Oaks Middle School, Blackhawk Fitchburg, so wherever you are. And if you're a part of our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, good to be with you. One thing that I have to say is that I am very aware that the Cubs are not doing well right now. <laughs> I really don't need to be reminded of that by the like hundreds of you that have brewer shirts on right now. So <laughs> there you go. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. There's still a mathematical chance that we could do something, but I'm not a big believer in math right now. So uh, uh, there you go. Hey, today is a, uh, a big day for my wife and I. Uh, I call my wife Sunshine, her name's uh, Becky. But today's our romantic, our romantic anniversary. Uh, on this day, September the 22nd, 1977, 42 years ago, we met in a in kind of a, uh, in a stairwell in the, uh, at Indiana State University in Terre Haute, Indiana, at Dreiser Hall, and we were walking up together to a class, and I had noticed her in the class, and I thought, man, I think she's that girl. And in the stairwell, I said to her, I said, hey, uh, aren't you uh, Becky that used to work uh, at Erickson Hall, uh, serving, you know, the athletes' uh, supper. And she looked at me and she said, aren't you that jerk gymnast that used to mix Coke and milk together? <laughs> and uh, so that leads to another story, which is a longer story. But uh, we had met earlier, three years earlier, and I made a really bad impression on her. And uh, she remembered that about me. So we call it our romantic, a romantic anniversary. So we can kind of date back... Uh, the, well, it's more important than our real uh, anniversary. Uh, just a few months later, in then August of 1978, uh, we were married. So we've been married uh, since 1978, 35 wonderful years. Not bad out of 41. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not sure if she agrees it's 35. She might have a lower number than that. I'm not sure. My wife and I always um, said... You know, that uh, whenever, whenever we're done here at Blackhawk, like whenever I'm not the senior pastor anymore, that we are going to move away from uh, Madison and go back down south. So when we were hired, uh, we came from the south. We lived in the south for 15 years. And I know oh, Madisonians don't understand people living in the south. It's so hot down there. Uh, but you know what they say about you guys? Uh, they say it's too cold up here. Who could ever live uh, in Wisconsin? We like the South. We had a great time down there. So we were like, whenever we're done here, we're going to move back uh, to the South. But on New Year's Eve 2016, this guy was born, and that changed everything. So his name is Silas. This is our uh, only grandchild. And he and his parents live about a mile from this building uh, right now. And that changed everything. We went on vacation not too long ago. When we came back from vacation, he comes running through the house and he yells, Grandma, 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 Grandma. And my wife looks at me and she goes, We're never leaving Madison. <laughs> so 
I tell you, when your kids go, mom, 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 that means something. But when you hear a grandson go, grandma, 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 oh my gosh. It does. Uh, how many of you, all sites and venues, are grandparents? Raise your hand if you're grandparents. Okay, am I telling you the truth? Yeah. Totally, it melts, you, it melts your hearts. So there's a complete change in our minds about, no, we're done here, whatever that's going to be. We're not going anywhere. We're, we can go on vacation down south, but we're, stay, we're staying here because of that little guy. There's a word in the New Testament for that kind of dramatic change. There's a word, and here's the word. This word is, in Greek, it's metanoia, metanoia. Metanoia literally means a change of mind. Uh, when we retire, we're going to go south. Now, no way. <laughs> we're staying here. And there's a big difference between the south and Madison. If you guys don't know that, there's a big difference. We had a complete change. We're going this direction. No, 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 no. And it's not just the intellectual. No, it's you change your mind like intellectually. Metanoia is about a change of heart, a change of will, a change of life. It, it's not just a change of mind like intellectually. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're changing our idea about a zip code, okay? It's a big, it's a big change. That little word, metanoia, huge word in the New Testament. It's a huge word. Because that word captures really the essence of what it means to follow Christ, that word metanoia. Because without metanoia happening, you're no, there's no following Christ. Metanoia must take place in order for anyone to become a follower of Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're continuing uh, in uh, our series that we're calling the unexpected uh, kingdom. This is the third of a long uh, series as we're going to take uh, the Sundays in this fall and then the Sundays uh, next winter and spring to go through the Gospel of Mark. It's about a 23-part uh, uh, series. Uh, the series began a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Charles was up here and really just did the first verse of the book of Mark. And that message was basically about the fact that the gospel is about the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. That's, that's his message, basically. And then last week, uh, Pastor Matt, uh, he talked about the fact that uh, this one who's bringing the kingdom, uh, the Messiah, is divine. He's actually divine. He's the son of God. And he's living out uh, the mission that Israel should have lived out, but they failed. And this son of God is not going to fail. He's living out that mission. Today's talk is the uh, first time in the series that we actually get to listen to the king, the Messiah, Jesus, actually say anything. Some of our English Bibles, uh, the editors decided that they would put the words of Jesus in red. Some of your Bibles have his words in red, some, some don't. But this is the first time we read any of the red letters. Jesus is actually going to speak to us uh, today. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 14. How you guys doing? Doing okay? Am I yelling? Am I yelling? Because I'm very excited about... <laughs> I'm just, I've been looking forward to this series for... And this is my first Sunday preaching. So anyway, I'm glad they're letting me preach. <laughs> here we go. After John was put in prison, 
Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Here it is. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. <laughs> There's like a ton of things, right? You could do the whole theology class from that, those two verses right there. There's a ton of things right there. So we're going to go slow and we're going to ask some questions of the text and kind of break it down. First question is this. Where is he when he's making this proclamation? Where is he? He's where? He's in Galilee. All right, where's that on a map? Look at this map. Okay. Galilee is not the same place as Jerusalem. You see where Jerusalem is? And Jerusalem, if you know anything about Judaism, Jerusalem is like the center of everything Jewish. So this is where the, the power is in Jerusalem. Uh, if they had like a, a university, it would be there in Jerusalem. This is where the brain trust is. This is where the power is. And Jesus is, is he in Jerusalem when he starts his ministry? The answer is, no, he's, he's where? He's in Galilee. Where, well, what's in Galilee? Well, not fishermen, you know, like ordinary people. This is a change for Jesus. Because according to chapter 1, verse 5, uh, John was by the Jordan River baptizing people near Jerusalem. People came from Jerusalem. So when Jesus was baptized, he was baptized on the Jordan closer to Jerusalem. And then he went into the wilderness to be tempted. And now he's migrated back up to Galilee. He's in Galilee where like ordinary people are. That's where he is. So what, what is he actually doing there? He's, what's he proclaiming? Let's go back to the text. What's he proclaiming? John was put in prison. Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming, what does it say? Good news. Evangelio of God. Time has come. He said the kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. Evangelio. It's used twice. It was used in the first verse. Evangelio. Euangelio translates, uh, is translated by our English uh, authors into the word uh, good news. Euangelio is the idea of uh, good message. Any kind of good news would be a euangelio. Uh, Cubs win. That's euangelio, okay? <laughs> I'm not hearing a lot of the gospel anymore. Uh, but anything that's good news, that's the, that's the idea, euangelio. So here's the question now is then what is the content, what's the content of the good news that Jesus is proclaiming? In other words, what is the gospel according to Jesus? All right, let's look back at the text. Here's the gospel. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. That's the gospel according to Jesus. The time has come. The kingdom of God is, what's the good news according to Jesus? It's the king, the kingdom is here. Why would he say that? Because he knows he's the king. And the kingdom of God has come near. And so the question becomes, what would be the kingdom? What's the kingdom? When you read that, like, what do you, what do you what's, the, what's that mean to you? What's that mean to you that the king, oh, that's, a, that's the wrong question, isn't it? That's the wrong question. What's the kingdom to you, Ed? Let me ask you another question. Is the Bible written to you? Answer is? No. If you come to Blackhawk Church, you know the answer to that. The Bible is not written to us. It's not written to us. Okay? 
That's Hebrew, okay? Do you understand that? No. Not written to you. It's written for you, not to you. Who's Jesus actually talking to? He's talking to people where? Oh, did you forget? He's talking to people in Galilee. They're Jewish. And when you talk to a Jewish person in Galilee about the kingdom, what would they be thinking? They would be thinking, what? This is good news. I mean, this is the Cubs win every year. This is like awesome, awesome, awesome. This is like the Messiah is come. <laughs> this would be like, <laughs> there's no problems because he's going to bring righteousness and justice to this earth. The Messiah is going to come as a king and things are going to get right. And that is like awesome. That's what a Jewish person in Galilee would think when you say kingdom. Yeah. And there are all kinds of psalms about this, and the, all kinds of prophecies about this. Here's a psalm about the coming of the kingdom, Psalm 98. Look at this. Shout for joy to the Lord, to the Lord all the earth. Burst into, I'm not, I'm not reading this right. I got to read this differently. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the coming of the kingdom. Shout, burst into song, my gosh. 300 years ago in 1719, there was a guy in England who read Psalm 98. When he read it, he burst into song. He just sat down and wrote a song down pretty quickly, actually. And the song goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Have you ever heard that? Let earth receive. Have you ever heard that? Sing that with me. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Louder. Let earth receive her king. Louder, louder, louder. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing louder and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Who wrote that song? Guy in England. Isaac Watts, 1719. And that song, when he wrote it, had nothing to do with Christmas. There's no Bethlehem. There's nothing like that in that song. Just read the words. There's nothing like that. It's about the coming of the king. It's about the coming of the king. Psalm 9. He reads Psalm 98 in his quiet time. He bursts into song. He writes that down. Now, we happen to sing it at Christmas. That's good. But we sing it all the whole time. It's about the kingdom. And this is the gospel according to Jesus. And that's what those Jewish people would have thought. Oh, my gosh. The kingdom has come near. That is Evangelion. That's good news. It's the gospel. Now, some of us are thinking right now, I don't know, just a second here, Pastor Chris. I come to Blackhawk from time to time. I hear you guys talk about the gospel. And I've heard people here on this platform say the gospel is Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. So uh, that's not the same kind of a, what's happening here. I mean, is the gospel that Jesus preached and the gospel that they preach at Blackhawk, are those different kind of things? Is Jesus wrong? 
Here's a, here's, here's a clue. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So Jesus is not wrong. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel by which you were saved. Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. How do these two fit together? Well, I'd love to answer that question, but that's going to take me in a different direction than this message should go. If you're interested in that discussion about the nature of the gospel, what is the gospel, then uh, go online uh, and you'll find a cutting room floor where uh, Dr. Yu and I have a conversation about uh, the broad version of the gospel and the narrow version of the gospel. And what Jesus is talking about here is the big gospel, is the broad version of the gospel. It's about the coming of the king and the kingdom, and that is great news. So what is Jesus wanting people to do? How does he want people to respond? What's he asking people to do? Well, let's go back to the text. What's he asking people to do? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the English word repent translates this word, metanoia. Have you ever heard of that word before, metanoia? Metanoia is a change of mind, not just intellectual, but it's a change of we are going to go to the south. No, we're staying in Madison. It's completely different. I'm rooting for the Cubs. They're out. Now I'm rooting for the Brewers. See, that's a, that's a complete change. They're not the same. The unfortunate thing with the word repent is that if you look it up in an English dictionary, repent also means regret or to be sorrowful. And that is a regretful translation. That's a joke for all the geeks in the room. That's a poor translation. Metanoia should not be translated as regret or be sorrowful. It is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. The kingdom has come near. Change your mind about whatever you think the kingdom is and the expectations you have for it. Change your mind about that. And the kingdom that Jesus is going to present to these Jewish people is not what they expect. What else does he ask people to do? He asks people to believe in this. The English word believe translates the Greek word pistuo, and it means to trust, rely, or depend. What most of you are doing right now with your chairs, is that you believe in them. You trust, rely, and depend upon them. So the king has come, and he says, change your mind about whatever you think the kingdom is, and the king, and those expectations, and trust what the king has to say about the king and the kingdom. And what does it actually mean to repent and believe? Mark as he puts his gospel together, gives us an illustration of that in the very next verses. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were, what's that word? Fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. 
Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, if you were to read uh, the Gospel of Matthew, you'd see the call of the disciples is in chapter 4. Read the Gospel of Luke, the call of the disciples is in chapter 5. You read the Gospel of Mark, it's right in the very front of the Gospel. Mark places it here, most scholars believe, because he's trying to illustrate what it actually means to repent and believe. What does it actually mean? Mark is saying it means that you follow Christ. You follow him. You change your mind, you drop, you change your life. I'm following now. I'm following Christ. You cannot repent and believe without following. And you cannot follow without having repented and believe. It's all the same kind of thing. All right. That's great. I covered these verses. Kind of done early. Let's pray and get out of here. Now, better yet, let's ask this question. So what? So what? How does this actually apply to my life? Here's a few lessons. First lesson is this. Becoming a follower of the king doesn't mean that crushing disappointments are going to disappear. Well, that's interesting, Pastor Chris. Where'd you get that from that passage? Well, it's a little phrase that I skipped over, but the implications of this phrase are massive. Let's go back and look at the very first verse. There it is. After John was put in prison. Hmm. Who's the John he's talking about? That would be who? John the Baptist in chapter one. John the Baptist is... This great, this great person who introduces Jesus. He's the one that was sent by God to introduce Jesus to the world. And we know that he is humble. He doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be more and more about Jesus. And after chapter one, he just disappears. Why? Because he gets thrown into prison, as we read in chapter six, and he has his head cut off. I run into people all the time who something happens that you don't plan and it's a crushing disappointment. It's a loss of a job, loss of a child, loss of a spouse. Some crushing thing takes place. Or why why did you give me, my husband, that disease? Some crushing disappointment happens. And there's always something in the back of people's minds when they talk to me. It's like, it's like, why did this happen to me, Pastor Chris? Because I'm a follower of Christ. It doesn't make sense that followers would have bad things happen to them. And I completely resonate with that. I totally resonate with that. It doesn't make sense. But the fact of the matter is, All over the Bible, people who are seriously devoted to God have crushing things happen to them. And it's not the way we would make the story go. If I was a part of like the arrival committee of the king, you know, like one of the heavenly beings, and you know, we were asked to task this, like, how do you want Jesus to arrive on the earth? Well, I wouldn't put him in Bethlehem, that's for sure. I would do something much more powerful than that. 
But I would argue around the table that, you know, hey, John the Baptist, he's this humble guy. He's, he's great. He, knows, he's, he actually knows people in Jerusalem. He's, got a, he's in with the power. We should, have, we should have John introduce him. And then John should stick around. And then somebody else in the committee says, no, 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 we had to get rid of John. And I would think, what? It makes no sense. I mean, in the book of Mark, what you're going to see is that no one really understands who Jesus is, except John the Baptist. Well, the only people who really do understand, they're not people, they're demons. <laughs> they get it. His followers don't get it. John gets it. Let's keep John around. He's the only one. No, he goes, why? No answers given. It's not unusual for crushing disappointments to crush the lives of serious followers of Christ. The issue is not, why is this happening to me, God? The issue is, am I following the king? Second lesson for our lives is this. Becoming a follower of the king doesn't mean that we need to know a lot about God. Who were the very first followers of Christ in this story? The very first followers were who? They were fishermen. He didn't start in Jerusalem with all the scholars who knew the Torah. He started in the Sea of Galilee with people who fish for a living. Have you ever been around fish? Fish smell. I think they smell wonderful, actually. But they smell. Did the fishermen smell? Yes, they smell. Their hands were, these probably, they probably couldn't even read. These are like normal people. You don't have to know a lot to be. Let me ask you a question. Did, uh, did the first followers of Jesus, did they know that he was going to die on a cross for them? The answer is, they had no idea that. No, they thought something else completely. In fact, what they know and their expectations about the king, we'll see in the book of Mark, are pretty wrong all the way throughout. They're constantly disappointed. But they were followers of the king. Many of us have come from situations and places where we believe that in order to be a follower of the king, we have to know a lot. That's not true. These guys didn't know much at all. They probably couldn't even read. They didn't know anything about him, but they followed him. Some of us have come from situations where like a follower is the same as someone who goes through all the traditions, religious things. No, 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 no. You can be religious without being a follower of Christ. At least, that's what my friend Scott says. Watch this of my life as a non-believer, even though I went to church when I was younger, almost every Sunday with my parents, went to Sunday school every Sunday. I was baptized and confirmed, um, but I really didn't see my parents or my neighbors or my friends really living out what it meant to be a Christian. It seemed more like to be a Christian meant to be a hypocrite. And so basically when I turned 18, I moved away from the church and God actually at that point. Then about nine years ago, I went through a divorce. That was really, really rough on me. Basically overnight, I lost my wife, my house, um, pretty much all my assets. Um, it was a struggle every day. 
Um, there was always something knocking me down, and I was probably at the lowest point in my life at that point. I had a discussion with a friend of mine at work, and he noticed a lot of the struggles that I was going through. He listened a lot um, and thought it would be a good idea for me to go to a divorce care class at Blackhawk Church. I was skeptical because I hadn't been to a church in 20 years and my previous experiences with it were pretty much negative. I would come to a two-hour class, a divorce care class, and we would sit down with other people that were going through divorces. I thought it would just be a lot of people sitting around talking about how bad their lives were and um, how horrible their ex-spouses were. Um, instead, um, we just talked a lot about you know, acceptance, forgiveness, dealing with the struggles that everybody has in, in these divorces. After a couple of weeks, it was amazing to me just seeing the love and compassion that these leaders and volunteers showed us. It, it made me want to come back every week. I started thinking to myself, what do these people have and what do they have that that are making them so happy and they, they show this love and compassion to us people that are damaged, coming in on their free time to do this for us. It was something that really started me down the road to becoming a, a Christian, which I never, never thought I would ever refer to myself as. And so that Sunday, I went to my first church service at Blackhawk. It was a gradual transition for me, becoming a Christian um, and declaring myself as a Christ follower. I was coming to services regularly, which were starting to spark things in me. I started to read a couple of books. I read The Case for Christ, The Reason for God, um, The Prodigal God. I started volunteering at Blackhawk, got baptized two years later. I took that step. After that, I went on a couple of mission trips, which I never thought I would ever do. And it just turned me into a person that um, I was proud to be and changed my life. I mean, welcoming Christ into my life and being able to consider myself and, and refer to myself proudly as a Christ follower is something I'd never thought I'd say, but I can say it now and I'm happy to say it. Doing religious things and being a follower of Christ are not the same thing not the same. You can do religious things, be real good at that, and yet still, when push comes to shove, you really believe in yourself and you follow your own desires. Following Christ is completely different. Another lesson for our lives. Becoming a follower of the king means that we become a part of the fellowship of the king. When Jesus uh, was calling these first followers, he called them together as a group. People who are followers of the king are part of a group, a fellowship. Life is difficult, and at times it's overwhelming. Crushing things happen. When a crushing thing happens to you, do you have someone who you know loves you? And you know no matter what you say, they're not going to shame you or guilt you, but they're going to listen to you and love you. Are you in that kind of a fellowship? People who are followers of the king hunger for that. 
It's practically impossible to follow the king without being a part of some kind of a group. That's why life groups are so important here at Blackhawk. That's why other kind of groups that we do, men's uh, community and encounter and all, that's why that's so important to us. Because if you're counting on what you're experiencing now for fellowship, how's that working for you? So you're probably sitting in a row with people you don't even know. You need to be in a group where people actually know your name and they know what's going on in your life. Followers of Christ are part of a fellowship of people who actually, well, we know each other. And last, what what are followers of the king supposed to do? What are the followers of the king supposed to do? Well, it's not rocket science. Let's go back to the text. What does Jesus say when he's calling his disciples? Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's, that's the essence of Christianity right there, right there. What are the followers of Christ supposed to do? Follow Christ, get more followers. That's it. That's pretty much it. What do we do here at Black, Blackhawk Church? Follow Christ, get more followers. That's the essence of Christianity. Our mission statement at Blackhawk is building a loving community that follows Christ in order to reach a community that is lost without him. We follow Christ so that we can get more people to follow Christ. It's what the king wants us to do. So the question becomes, has metanoia happened to you? Have you experienced metanoia? Where a change has taken place. I experienced it in 1977, that fall semester at Indiana State when I met my wife. There was a man who uh, was a reporter for the paper, a journalist named Mike. One of his jobs was to cover the team that I was on. And Mike was one of the first people that I ever, ever met in my life. I've been in church for years, but he was one of the first people I ever met in my life who was actually a follower. He was a follower. I knew a lot of religious people, but I didn't know many people that were following Christ. He was a follower. And he challenged me to follow Christ. And my life changed. I was going in this direction, and then all of a sudden I go, no, 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 no. This is what I need to do. Boom. I became a follower of Christ. Before I was kind of a follower of Chris, you know. <laughs> I believed in Chris. I believed in Chris a lot, actually. But there's a big difference, a bigger difference between Chris and Christ than the letter T. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> it's a huge difference. What's best for me? What do I think? What makes me happy? Boom. What's the best for Christ? What does Christ want? It's a huge difference. That's, that's metanoia. Boom. That's what happened to Scott. Has that happened to you? Let's pray. Father, many of us are in uh, a religion, religious. We just do things. Sometimes we just, well, it makes us feel better. It makes us feel better. <laughs> 
about ourselves. And really the core of what we do is about us, all about us. We remember when we were not like that. When the core of our being was really about you, we were following you. We were following you hard. And we've lost that. It's really about what's, what's most important to me. I pray, Father, for those of us like that, that we would have a change of mind and heart. We would get back to those early days when we were hard-charging following you. Some of us, Father, are kicking the tires of the truth claims of Christianity. We're not sure we actually believe uh, the Bible. We don't believe uh, much. We don't really know much, actually, about any of this stuff. And yet something inside of us goes, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow him. I want to learn more about him. I pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, you help people, no matter where we are in the spectrum, that we would all take that step, that we would have a change of mind, a change of heart. We'd stop following our own desires, and we would start to follow Christ. We pray this in Christ's name, for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said.